this is undoubtedly going to become a series because there's 36 minutes left in our service and if I sat down and taught this right now uh, it'd probably be four or five hours which I am prepared to do I don't know if y'all are prepared but I am so I want to give you a skeletal outline so you can begin um, studying these things and uh, then we will dive in so under the topic of heavenly host, and this is going to be the kind of thing I promise you will want to take notes on, unless you can quote the book of Enoch. Anybody in here can quote the book of Enoch? Maybe, yes. Yeah, she just whispered Mary's Well, if, if the book of Enoch is not something that you, you read this week, um, if, if you don't want to play Bible trivia publicly with me, then take notes, Okay. Because what I'm trying to tell you is, I promise, in this series of messages, you're going to learn some things that you don't know. And uh, the best way for you to remember them is to at least write some of it down. If you're not the note-taking kind, try. All right? So here is a series of topics we're going to cover. We'll get to as many as we can tonight, and then we'll see where it takes us from there. Under Heavenly Host, the first is Pre-Adamite. So that's P-R-E, then the word Adam. And throw an I-T-E on the end, and that'll make it sound like pre-Adamites. One of our key scriptures for pre-Adamite is going to be Genesis 1-2. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a topic and a key scripture, and I'm going to do, the, do that for each of the things that I plan to cover with you. Then we're going to start back at the beginning and see how many of them we can cover. Sound good? So the first one's pre-Adamite. Second one, heavenly hierarchy. Heavenly hierarchy. For this... Right next to it, Hebrews 8, 5. Tell me when you're done. 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 Mandy's done. done. Number three, angels and accusers. Angels and accusers. For this, write Job 1, 6 through 12. Done. Good, good, good. Four, archangels. For archangels, put Jude 9. Good, good. Number five, satanic theories. I told you we're out of our mind to cover these topics. Satanic theories. For this, put Isaiah 14, 3 through 7. Number six, fallen angels. You, but you know, lying and stealing are both sins. Uh. What we tell you? Fallen, fallen angels. angels. For fallen angels, I think we could probably pick Genesis six. For number seven, the condemned. For the condemned, please put John 16, 11. For number 8, the cross. Now, you would expect something from the four Gospels, but you're not going to get it. It's Revelation 12. Number 9, authority to trample. Authority to trample is Luke 10, 19. And then 
Last but not least, <coughs> my absolute favorite of all the topics, that's why I held it to the end, number 10 is sulfur stew. <laughs> this sulfur stew. That will be Revelation 2010. Not the movie 2010, not the year 2010, Revelation 2010. Now tell me, if you can find a church somewhere where you can cover these 10 topics publicly, then you found a good church. Especially if it's not crazy, it actually comes out of the Word. All of this has come from a prophecy that I received, a discussion that I overheard between some people vigorously debating the <laughs> origins of Satan and demons and fallen angels and those kind of things, and it occurred to me. The kind of things that I have been teaching from coffee tables and coffee shops for years, the kind of things that drew the crowds that created this church, for whatever reason in our daily teaching, our daily living, we've kind of shied away from. And I take it for granted that you know these things because they've been a part of me so long. So I thought that we could cover these as many as we can, as often as we can. And what is going to happen is you are going to get a picture of the heavenly host that is different than what is commonly assumed. What you see in cartoons is that the devil has a pitchfork, that he is ruling over demons, and that he is in a place called hell. There is absolutely zero truth in that picture. What you tend to assume from church art, from common speech, from fictional novels that people act as if are historically accurate, is that there are angels, there are demons, there is God, and there is Satan, and none other. Nothing could be further from the truth. These ideas are completely and totally scripturally inaccurate. So what I thought we would do is we would confine our discussion to the scripture. Some of what I will teach you is uh, definite. You should absolutely grab hold of it. Be very little bone to spit out with the meat that I'm giving you. And some of it is simply my opinion. And I will try to do my best to distinguish between the two for you and uh, where you disagree. It's not required that you agree with me. Okay? I'm just, God put me here, and so I'm teaching you what I feel like He's taught me. Is that fair enough? Yes. Is that the longest disclaimer in all of church history? <laughs> all right. So if we're going to cover the pre Adamite section, which is where I would like to start, why don't we turn to the book of Genesis, or as one friend in Louisiana <laughs> says, Genesis. <laughs> He also calls Sennacherib Sennacherib. And I don't know, that's just kind of fun to say. I never asked him about Melchizedek. Yeah, that's, that's my son's name. My unborn mythical son. Y'all ready for Genesis 1? In Genesis 1, we have a claim, a claim that is unlike all the claims of all the religions in all of the world. When you look around the globe, people worship created things. They said, our God is the sun God. Our God is the God of fire. Our God is the God of water. Our God are the elemental gods. Our God is the fertility God. Or if you were a Philistine, really nasty looking, fish-headed, half-man, half-fish God. How cool is that really not? One large continent in the world would get to worship rats. That's really totally uncool. The Bible makes the claim starting in the very beginning that the God that we're going to tell the story of, the God that this book is about, is the God who created the heavens and earth. So I thought we'd read that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Heavens is plural, earth is not. This is because in the Hebrew mindset, heavens is a multi-layered thing. There is a place where God alone dwells, and there are realms beneath that, ranging from the starry realm to the atmospheric realm. But there are heavens in the Bible, spoken of as plural. You won't find it neatly defined in the Scripture because Hebrews didn't find it necessary to neatly define things. They simply painted pictures with their words, and it was a part of common thought and society, and it shows up in their writings. In the beginning, God created the heavenlies, or heavens, and He created the earth. That is beyond contestation. That is not something that can be argued. If this book is true, there is no other interpretation than that. So let us not degenerate into Big Bang theories. Let us not degenerate into any theory other than God created everything in the beginning. The Bible says that emphatically, undeniably, and without question. However, when we move to this next verse, the entire Christian world seems to have lost their mind. And I want to show you something. Something that very well may cause a light bulb to go off. Because we have geologists in the room. We have engineers in the room. I'm the least among my brethren, so I will ask you questions as we go. And you know what? Answer me. It won't hurt my feelings. Okay? Don't look for the church answer. Don't try to remember what Charles Stanton, what other teachers may say. Instead, tell me what you think. You ready for that? Yes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Why would we start with the word now? What does now indicate? If we are talking for a while and I say, <clears throat> now, what does that indicate? Something's changed. Something's changed. We're not talking about then. We're not talking about will be. We're speaking about now. In the begin, beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 picks up at a point in time that the Bible calls now. The word for created in the very first verse of the Bible is bara. Bara literally means to originate out of nothing. Would you be surprised to know that in the six days of creation that is not the only word that's used? The word bara that means to originate out of nothing is not the only word that is used to describe the creation. In fact, another word, asa, which means to make out of something, is frequently used. This is because in the very beginning God created everything that there was, but now we are talking about a point in time in history that this story is going to pick up where some things were created and some things were remade. Some people call this a gap theory. They say, Eric, you have a theory that there's a gap between Genesis 1, 1, 1 and 1, 2. No, I, I really don't have a theory. The text actually bears it out and it is a bit like having a theory that there's a turn in the road up ahead. Well, there either is or there's not. And I'm going to leave that to you to decide, but I can assure you this is advanced beyond the theory place in my life. Now the earth was. Do you have a footnote for the word was? What was that? Possibly. Possibly. It says became. Yeah, it's, it's a problem with footnotes though. Which is it? Is it was or was it became? So when I began to look at this, I want to give you some, some numbers here because I expect you to doubt. I expect you to take issue. I expect you to do everything except cross your arms, take your ball, and go home mad. 
I'm going to give you some Strong's numbers so that you can verify what I'm saying. Bara is Strong's number 1254. Bara means to create. Asa, 6213, it means to make. Uh, in verse 16 of Genesis 1, he made stars. But other things it says that he created. In other words, God spoke and something appeared out of nothing with some things. And other things he formed, he fashioned out of something that was there. This is true in the original text. It's even true in the English words. Occasionally, there's something that he did both. Watch this. If he takes dirt and makes a man, that is to form or fashion a man. But you can say that it was his creation because it had never existed before he formed it and fashioned it. So in that sense, it is both. And guess what he says about a man? He both made him and created him. Everything that you are made of has existed here for a long time. But nothing like you has ever existed before Adam was placed on this earth. We're going somewhere with this. Back to the word was. When I began to look at this, I found out that the Strong's word for was is really a Hebrew word called haya. Isn't that great? Haya. How are you? H-A-Y-A-H. This is Strong's number 1961. By the way, I don't use Strong's very much. I've got several other lexicons and Strong's just happens to be the very most basic. If you'd like to find some really good stuff on this, go see Suzanne and she'll tell you where to find Phineas Dake's annotated study Bible. The man is genius beyond belief and it's almost annoying because everything that I would like to teach he lists in 1013 reasons that this is true it's overwhelming uh, you, you, you can't do it but what I found out about Haya is Haya is a verb that means to exist to be, to become, to come to pass to be done every tense of the word was is possible here you can say the earth had become, the earth was becoming, the earth became, the earth came to pass, and all are correct. In fact, 67 more times, this very word is translated became. So much so that the NIV went, hmm, we're going to write was here because it's a traditional translation. But it's very possible that this word should be translated became and they put it in a footnote. Would you like to see a place where the very same word exists in the next chapter and see how they translated it? Yes. Good. I'm glad that you're not already asleep. So when we're thinking about the earth becoming or had become or the earth became, maybe we should turn to Genesis 2:7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man Haya became a living being. Could you say the man was a living being? Yes, but they chose from context to translate it became a living being. I want to go back to Genesis 1-1 with you. And 67 other times this occurs in that way. In the beginning the Lord created, God created the heavens and the earth. This is beyond contestation. Everything that is here, everything that will ever be here came from God. He is the originator of everything. Now let's talk about a point in time in which the earth had become or was becoming or became formless and empty. What else do you find in the next verse? What is present in the next verse other than formless and emptiness? Water and what else? Darkness. 
We have not entered the days of creation. We have not gotten to the place where we said, let there be light and there was light and there was evening and morning in the first day. And we have present something. Something is already here. There is an earth that is formless and void. There is waters. Check that out. Plural. Waters, not water. Waters. And there is darkness. Those were not created on any of the six days of creation. They weren't formed or fashioned on any of the six days of creation. The days of creation begin with time as we know it when you have evening and morning marking 24-hour time periods the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, six days in all, and on the seventh day he rested. This all points to something. There was something here. Now when I was beginning to think about this, I couldn't help but wonder, was there another time in which water covered the surface of the earth? There was, wasn't there? And a rainbow hangs in the sky promising that God would never do it again. If I did something once and I promised never to do it again, that might be meaningful. But you would really want to promise I would never do something again if it had been done many times before, wouldn't you? Yeah, you probably would. As we began to think about this, I also contemplated on what day were angels made? In which of the six days of creation, if what people say is true, that everything that we see, everything that there is or ever has been, was made in those six days, on what days were the angels created? Can anybody point to that in Genesis? But you can point to scriptures that speak about angels and creation. Would you turn with me to Job 38? <coughs> Are you all interested in this at all? Yes. yes. Well, good. In Job 38, we find a curious statement. 38, starting in verse 4. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Did you know God was sarcastic? Isn't that great? I love it. He tells Job sometimes, Brace yourself like a man that I may question you. Surely you know. And Job's like, oh, You know, I spoke once. I, I spoke twice. Behold, uh, <clears throat> I'm vile. God says, okay, we'll move on. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? And who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Morning stars and angels were singing and shouting for joy when the very foundations of the earth were measured out and laid. Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. On the first day of creation, he said, let there be light. He separated light from darkness. There was evening, there was morning, there was one day. The angels were not created in the six days of creation because they were there watching, shouting for joy, singing for joy at something that was being done. Now, do we have to stretch very far to say if we have a scene that is covered in darkness, a scene that is covered in water, maybe something bad had happened here. Is that an enormous stretch? That does not strain reason. It does not strain credibility. How about we turn from Job to Isaiah? Let's look at how our God likes to create things. Tell me when you're in Isaiah. Good. Then you need to get to Isaiah 45. See how I sandbag that so I get there before you do? It's like golf, Pop. I have to handicap it. Isaiah 45. Let's look at the 18th verse. For this is what Yahweh says, He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, 
How about that? Fashioned and made. That is not the word create out of nothing. Fashioned and made means to take something and mold it. You fashion it. You make it. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it, there is the word for out of nothing, to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited. Our God does not create things to be empty. He doesn't create them to be void. When he creates them, it's because he has a purpose that it would be inhabited, that it would be full of life. So how do we have a statement that says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, followed by a statement that says it was empty and yucky. Something had to happen because this is not how God creates things. So well, Eric, if something happened between Genesis 1, 1, and Genesis 1, 2, why wouldn't the Bible tell us? Because the Bible is the story of the creation, fall, and restoration of mankind. It is not the story of the history of the earth. Nor is it the story of the history of the universe. Nor is it the story of the origin of God. Or the origin of Satan or demons or any of the other things that some of our friends are all discussing. And I'm glad you are. I want you to know all about the Bible. The Bible centralizes around a key star figure. And baby, it's you. You are the hero of the text. Watch this. God creates things to be filled with his presence. Well, what job was Adam given? Turn with me to Genesis 1. We will start in the 28th verse. <coughs> start in the 27th verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Anybody in here want to volunteer to be subdued? It's good. Because if Mike Hutchinson was here, I'd sick him on you. You'd get subdued. Subdue is a pretty interesting word. In Hebrew, it's, it's kavas. And to subdue means to bring into subjection, to overcome with force or to enslave. Man was given a couple tasks. As soon as a human being is placed on this planet after the six days of creation, what he is told is, I want you to fill it. By the way, if anybody has a King James Bible, you will notice King James translates that replenish. How do you replenish something that was never plenished? God creates things to be filled, inhabited. Something happened here. And now he has put something in his image on the earth to bring it into subjection, to bring it under control, and to fill it with something. God told Adam and Eve to multiply. Told them to multiply. And what did he say right before that? He made them in his image. What God would be multiplying upon the earth was his image, a likeness of him, what he is like, what he is like, what he is like, over and over and over. And all of those little what he's likes, chips off the big block, had one task. Make more of you and bring the earth into subjection. Why would you have to subdue something unless there was a rebellion already here? So it's pretty undeniable at this point 
that there is something that is on the earth that is in rebellion. Then the presence of darkness and floodwaters lead you pretty strongly to the idea that perhaps God wiped it out with a flood. But if there were any doubt, tell me, how does a, a tree of the knowledge of good and what was that next word? Evil. Evil exist if there has never been evil. On what day was evil created? It's not. All of this points you to one inextricable fact. The Bible tells you God is the origin, the father of all things, period. <coughs> but it picks up its story at a place in time in which God is hovering over the water saying, I'm not going to leave it like this in judgment. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to put somebody there who is in my image to replenish it, to fill it to fill it with something that looks like him. Turn with me to Genesis 9. I want you to hear an echo of this. What story does the Bible tell us about where there was a judgment in floodwaters and mankind as we know it was wiped out? The Noahic flood, right? Genesis 9.1 Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. How did the earth get empty? flood. Had it ever been full before that? Yes. yes. You could say go replenish the earth. Could you not? Yes. And guess what? King Jimmy did. He said go replenish the earth. That's what a King James Bible says. I'm telling you this so that you can draw a parallel between a Noahic flood and something that I am calling a pre-Adamite flood. We see the same instructions given to somebody. We see the same conditions. Water and a wiped out earth. We see people made in the image of God going forth, increasing in number, multiplying, and their job is to spread God's image all over the planet. Now, because we have a geologist in the room, I want to ask her, how old is the earth, Lindsay? Uh, 6.2 billion years old. Now, you've heard people say, fluoride carbon dating is faulty. And they will tell you stories. When a volcano goes off, it's fouls it all up. You'll hear people say, well, those dinosaur bones may not be as old as they think. There's even a Creation Science Institute in California full of God-loving, awesome human beings that are promoting a young earth theory that the Bible does not teach. I want you to hear this. When Christians go to college for the first time and a professor tells them the earth is 6.2 billion years old, and they slam down their Bibles on the table and say, the Bible says the earth is 6,000 years old. I would like you to show me that in your Bible, any one of you. You cannot do it. It's not there. What happens to us is mankind, as we know it, from Adam forward, has a lineage. That lineage, depending on the Bible scholar you talk to, which I put on the wall in this church, ranges from 4,000 to 7,500 years. I'm a 4,000-year type guy. Uh, I think it's pretty indisputable. All of the other arguments are over translation. Because there's 4,000 years between Adam and the cross and from the cross till now, people say, well, the earth is 6,000 years old. Where did the Bible ever say that? It simply said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now let's talk about when the earth became formless and void. And when God said, let there be light, and he separated light from darkness, evening and morning, day one, it's okay to start counting your years from day one. But how do you count years prior to that? 
How could you possibly do that? Some say, well, those days are geological ages. I completely reject that idea. You will not find anywhere in the scripture where the word day can be translated geological age when it appears with a numerical adjective. If it says first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, it's always a 24-hour time period. It's not necessary to cram that into the six days of creation because the Bible does not say that everything that ever existed anywhere was created in those six days. It does not say that. It says in the beginning God <coughs> created everything, the earth became formless and void, and it gives you a story that is really a recreation or a creation of the world as we know it. This is borne out by the words bara and asa, some things he made from nothing, other things he made from something existent. It's borne out by pre-existing things. By the way, waters. How do you have waters? If I hold this cup up and there's H2O in it, what's in it? Water. Water. And I put some more in it. What is in it? Water. At what point do I ever pour anything in it and you go, that's waters? You can't. The only way that you have waters is if I have two cups, two containers, some way to separate them. We say that is water, that is water, those are waters. Because collectively it's all water. So how do we say waters were covering the surface of the earth? If there is no dry land to segment it, how do we have different containers? Because speaking from the perspective of what was here prior to the flood, they were segmented by land and the waters covered the earth. See, it's speaking of a perspective where it had been separated and now it was not. And by the way, what did he call the waters in the days of creation? Seas. The same way that water all over the globe is water, but now we call them seas, or you could call them bodies of water, or waters because they are divided. They're waters. Are you beginning to see a picture there? Now, you may not like it. You may think that I'm crazy. But what you cannot do is completely ignore what is pregnant in this text. And I want to tell you something. Sometimes the academic world looks at us like idiots because we behave like idiots. We will slam our fist down on a Bible and swear that it says something that the text does not say. And when you press a Christian, where does it say that? Well, well, <coughs> Dr. So-and-so told me. Well, that's great. You hang your hat on that. What did you do to investigate it? A man told me that Tyrannosaurus Rex teeth were used for stripping cane. He didn't have any beachfront property to sell me, but that's what I was expecting next. Who could honestly believe that? Saints, when did people begin eating flesh in the Bible? After the Noah flood. So what do you do with dinosaurs that Lindsay spends her life studying or people in her department spend their life studying, especially when they turn to oil and I get to burn it in my truck? That's awesome. <laughs> what do you do with all of those gnarly creatures that were obviously built for mortal combat with giant big teeth? You would have to place them after the Noah flood if that's all you ever believed existed on the earth. But, if in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, now we're going to begin to talk about this creation. After it had become formless and void, a time period where an atom was put on the earth and we began counting years based on Adam's lifespan. Then all we need to do is say, well, that was a part of some previous gnarly creation that was judged for its behavior. Is it hard to imagine when you look at the dinosaur world 
when you look at what people call Neolithic man or Peking man or any of those things, is it hard to imagine that that was not pleasing to God, knowing what you know about God? What does Isaiah 11 describe the earth like? Isaiah 11 describing the world to come. Lion laying down with lamb, children playing with coma. When you think of prehistoric era, is that the image that comes to your mind? But that is what Eden was. That is what the time period was prior to the Noahic flood. People did not eat animals and animals did not eat people. In fact, in the garden, animals seemed to even have the power of speech. Certainly the serpent did. This is vastly different. How do you account for that in your theology or do we just not? Say, give me the bare minimum that I might be saved. See, I want to know everything that I can find out about this book. By the way, the task that Adam was given, bring the earth into subjection, enslave it. In other words, make it controllable by God. Who else got that task? Turn with me to Corinthians 15. In Corinthians 15, I would like you to start with me in 22. Now, I've already run out of time tonight. 1 Corinthians. I've already run out of time, and thankfully we've covered most of the pre-Adamite theory that I don't think is a theory. But I want you to understand something. What God put here in a human being was something that looked like Him, and yet the Bible declares was weaker in power, stature, uh, in every measurable way than the angelic realm. If there had been a rebellion of some kind, and God put something here that looked was made in His image, but was weaker, and He told the man to subdue, what was here. That could be an interesting task, couldn't it? How would you like me to tell you to go subdue Mike Tyson? There could only be one way you could do that. If there was a higher authority that was empowering you and you were not doing it based on your own strength and merit, but your dependence upon that authority. You ever seen a policeman that you knew you could take? Why didn't you? Because you respected that authority, right? Does everybody? All of our discussion of heavenly host is leading to one place. There are powers upon this planet that do not respect the authority, and it is our job to bring them into subjection to Christ. Listen to this. On the 22nd verse, 22nd verse, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, <coughs> authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. I want you to understand something. Even in the perfection of Eden, God was not all in all. 
He was not all in all because the creation itself had a power in it that was called evil, something that man was su supposed to subdue. Man was given a task. You were put on this planet after a judgment occurred, after some untold story occurred, and we were told, depend upon me, God speaking, depend upon my authority, do what I tell you to do and it will go good for you. The whole story starts to go awry when man says, I'd much rather do what I think is right. I want that knowledge for myself. <clears throat> Ephesians 2 says that you and I have been put on display. Display before the heavenly powers. We've put, been put on display and it will eventually show the many-sided, many-fold wisdom of God. What I hope to cover with you as we cover pre-Adamite, heavenly hierarchy, angels and accusers, archangels, satanic theories, fallen angels, the condemned, the cross, authority to trample, and sulfur stew is how to walk in the authority that God has given you. How to understand what it is that you face and to put away childish concepts that have enslaved the church in ignorance. If you don't agree with me that there is a gap, if you don't agree with me that there is a pre-Adamite existence, and notice I didn't name it, I didn't go through all of the semantics that people do and fanciful thoughts about what was here, it doesn't matter. Does it matter if you are a soldier, if you know everything about the enemy, or does it matter that you trust that your authority above you simply said go fight and we'll give you what you need? That's where we are. I'm not going to require you to agree with me about Genesis theology. But surely we are going to come to a place where you understand that whatever is here, however it got here, you have authority over it. And in Christ, you must bring it into subjection. This becomes very important in our daily lives because if we don't control our own desires, you will certainly not bring heavenly powers into subjection. But when we start by submitting our body to our spirit, all things become possible for us. And I want to tell you personally that this now 33-year-old, I guess I'm not a kid anymore, has had absolutely no problem and no effort has to go into putting down demonic powers when you come across <coughs> them. Because I know who I am in Christ and I know why I'm here. So my goal is to teach you that very thing. And I needed to start in Genesis. The next thing we will move to, be it Sunday or Wednesday, is the heavenly hierarchy. Please bring a pencil and paper. There will be things that you have been taught that will be challenged. There is no question. As always, I won't require you to agree with me, but if you don't, you better find out why. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet. We'll pray.